Dangers of the modern world. Let me preface these, this study with a couple main statements I need to make. We are going to be dealing heavily this afternoon with science and data. And that may be a little out of place for a church study. The reason I need to do it this way is so that I can properly alert you to dangers that the modern technology and modern world in, in reality has brought to us. And there's really no way to do it without delving into science and data. Now, that being said, we need to be careful. We do not need to think that religion and science are enemies one with another. They are not enemies. They're two separate fields of study. That's what they are. You have theology and you can have science. You have the study of God, which is really what theology is. And then you have science, which is the study of nature, physiology, and different sections of that study. These do not oppose each other. The only time that science and theology, true study of God, conflict with one another is when science is misconstrued. Now, there also have been times that theology has been misconstrued and it has gone against science. Science won the day, but only after we found out that we were misconstruing theology. So that is a possibility, and that is why it is so very important for us, one, to be filled with the Spirit and to know what the Bible says, what it says, why it says it, and know the principles of the Word so that we can rightly divide the Scriptures, rightly divide them. So... Keep this in mind, religion and science are not in opposition one to another. They complement one another, and we're going to find that out. Another thing I need to preface is that I'm going to be giving a lot of reasons why humanity does things. Our minds, how they're made up, why we interact the way we do, and our, the activities we partake of. This does not necessarily mean an excuse for what we do, though. Just because you find the reason you do something does not make it an excuse to do it. It just means you found out why you're doing it. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. There's reasons why we sin. Selfishness, selfishness is why we sin. That's the reason. That's not an excuse to sin. It's simply the reason. And so as we go through this study, we're going to find out a lot of reasons why humanity makes the mistakes we make. As I said, though, that does not mean that's an excuse to make those mistakes. Another one is that spirituality and physiology are intertwined on a very intimate level. And you cannot remove one from the other. It would do us harm for us to study spirituality, to study the spiritual elements of God's Word without taking into account the physical elements that we have and live in. As I said this morning in Sunday school, we are so intertwined that the moment that the body breaks from the spirit, we leave this world. Why? Because we cannot exist here without a body. That's how intertwined we are. And the last one is that the reason we are doing this study, as I said, not to criticize by any means, but there are greater enemies for the church to face than the ones that are tripping us up. The ones that usually, as Brother Woods taught and preached this morning so very well, the enemies that we are facing, the battles that we face, a lot of times they end up being ones that are easily conquerable, easily overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And it's the ones that trip us up, that are hindering the church, that are not necessary. They're ones usually we bring on ourselves. And so, as I said 
This is not meant to criticize, but it does us no good if we don't admit where we're at and admit the truth of the matter. Now, so on to the study. Dangers of the modern world. This is a study by me um, and Brother Dylan. Brother Dylan has um, helped me out on this, or helped me out. We did this together. And so this presentation was done by the work of me and Brother Dylan in dealing with several different subjects. We each interjected into each different subject and then brought this together by the grace of God. So what we have here then, this verse that we brought out to the forefront. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The reason I brought this verse up is because Apostle Paul, even in ancient times or pre-times, before our time, before the modern world, what we would call it, recognized the dangers of what we're going to be talking about today. This is not a new danger to humanity or to the church but the ways that it manifests itself are new. But the principles to overcome it and the principles to deal with it have already been laid out in Scripture. So today, we've got three sections, how your brain functions, how your brain can be exploited, how to overcome and discipline your brain. Today, we're going to be dealing with the first two, by God's grace, and the third we will finish up on in the following Wednesday night. So you can take note here. Each one has three different sections to it. And this is the main focus of the study. You say, Brother Andrew, I don't see social media in any of those. Well, the reason we did it this way is because at first we need to show you the dangers, physically, the dangers of what they are and how they can sneak up on you. And then we'll start to talk about the dangers that social media present. But this is not meant to be solely, solely, a study on social media because the problems we have with social media have already developed themselves in other areas of our lives. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with. So that being said, how your brain functions. Now, this is a brain. Everybody's got one. Some people don't use them, but everybody's got one. Now, yours is not this colorful and pretty. Trust me, yours looks a lot uglier than this, but everybody else does too, so I wouldn't feel too bad about it. But you have different sections of the brain. Not every part of your brain does the same function. All right? Now, this is, you say, brother, what does all this have to do? Just bear with me. It'll all come together by God's grace. So we have the frontal lobe here. Now, thinking, speaking, memory, and movement are all part of this front part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex or the frontal lobe. This is a very, all of them are important, but for daily activities, this part of your brain is very important. So that's why when you have people with certain concussions get damaged here, they usually have problems in somewhere in that area because of the damage done to the prefrontal cortex or frontal lobe. Your temporal lobe here, hearing, learning, and feelings. Now this one, this yellow section here, is going to become one of the main focuses of our study, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The prefrontal lobe, language and touch, occipital lobe, vision, color perception, cerebellum, balance, coordination, Brain stem, breathing, heart rate, and temperature. The brain stem is all unconscious. You don't know you're doing these things. The brain stem connects directly to your spinal cord, which then gives the nerves and the feelings to the rest of your body. And so you only know, or excuse me, you will not know when you're breathing. You only know when you're not. All right? And the same with temperature. <laughs> 
Well, you'll know it because you have a short time before you stop breathing and you die. So you'll, that short span of time, you'll be very aware, hey, I'm not breathing. But until that happens, you really don't know it's happening. So that's why I say this is going to become important, too, because this is all unconscious. What happens here is all unconscious, and you don't know it's happening. So our main study, our main focus is going to be on these three sections here. Frontal lobe, temporal lobe, brain stem. Now, what in the world, Brother Andrew, with that? This is breaking the brain down onto an either, even deeper level. This is cellular. So cells or neurons, which is the brain cells, you have. You have them all. They all look in similarity to these things here. These are two separate ones, two separate neurons. You have a sending neuron and a receiving neuron. Now, this little gap here is a synapse. This is brought into bigger picture here. So this picture is that picture between the two. They don't actually touch. So your cells don't actually touch. But they communicate one with another through this cleft here, this picture here. So you have one neuron here that wants to send a message to this neuron down here. The way they do that is by transferring chemicals, transferring chemicals. Now, we're going to talk mainly about neurotransmitters. But hormones are another chemical of the body. So neurotransmission is a chemical product, and hormonal transmissions are a chemical product. That is why it's, it's very important if you take the wrong type of chemicals into your body, you're going to have a bad day because of this type of situation right here. So these little squares here are neurotransmitters. Now. We're going to focus on one main neurotransmitter, but there are many that we'll talk about here shortly. But these neurotransmitters are found, well, let me go back actually, because they are all produced mainly, dopamine, the one we're going to talk about, is produced in this area right here. So it's produced in this area right here. Dopamine has two, two main interstate highways throughout the body. One, and we'll explain a little bit later, but one is to produce motion. The other is to produce feeling. So physical motion and feeling. So they are produced in different areas of the body depending on the actual neurotransmitter. But they are then sent through the cells. And so you have one cell wanting to give this cell a neurotransmission. So it sends the chemical out through a transporter, something like this, and then into a receptor or something like this. So now there's other things in this picture that we're not going to deal with. We do not have the time. But for simplicity's sake, all you need to know really is that one neuron wants to send a message to another neuron. It does it through this cleft by sending chemical signals. Now, when the receiving neuron receives the chemical signal, it gets an electrical jolt. Everything you feel is electricity. Every feeling you get, whether it's by touch, whether it's by emotion even, if you don't have happy emotions, you're lacking in electricity. But don't stick yourself into a jump start. That don't work like that. So... You need these chemicals in order to tell the other parts of the body, other parts of the brain, how to feel, why to feel that way, and how to move. So keep this image in your mind. It will become important. So neurotransmitters, which is those little blocks that we talked about, those little chemicals in the body. There are several. These are the main eight that we want to at least touch on for different reasons. Adrenaline. We all know what that is, or should know exactly what that is. It is also named epinephrine. It is the fight or flight. 
Produced in stressful situations, increases heart rate and blood flow, leading to physical boost and heightened awareness. Noradrenaline, norepinephrine, excuse me, is similar, but it produces concentration. It affects attention and responding actions in the brain, contracts blood vessels, increasing blood flow. Dopamine, which is the pleasure hormone, so-called, we'll get back to that one a little bit. Serotonin, which is mood, contributes to well-being and happiness, helps sleep cycle, digestive system regulation, affected by exercise and light exposure. GABA, which is calming, calms firing nerves in the central nervous system. High levels improve focus. Low levels cause anxiety. Also contributes to motor control and vision. Acetylcholine, which is learning, involved in thought, learning, and memory. Activates muscle action in the body. Also associated with attention and awakening. Glutamate, which is memory. Most common neurotransmitter. This is key. Keep that in mind. Glutamate, most common neurotransmitter involved in learning and memory regulates development and creation of nerve contacts. Endorphins, which is euphoria, released during exercise, excitement, sex, producing well-being and euphoria, reducing pain, another important one to keep in mind, please. So here's the main chemical reactions that go on in your body during a regular day. Now, you won't feel all of these in a regular day. You don't think, but you actually do. Low levels of all of these are always constantly within your bloodstream and constantly within your nerves working. So you may not feel always fight or flight, but it's there. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to move. Note what these things give. So heightened awareness, you'll feel that when the adrenaline is high, you'll have a heightened awareness. When noradrenaline is high, you'll be able to concentrate better. So if you're having a problem concentrating, you actually have a deficiency here but also like glutamate. You're always building memories, always building memories. And that's because of this chemical right here. You should be always learning. So you always have that chemical working. And on and on and on you can go. Now, I bring up the rest of these is because dopamine, the one that we will be discussing here this afternoon in depth, does not work alone. All right? This is very key and important as we get through this. But dopamine... Like I said, most call it the pleasure hormone, does not work independent of the rest of these. In fact, usually they work in coercion one with another, with some exceptions, which we'll note. But dopamine, so when we have a dopaminic surge, you also have a surge in glutamate. Why? Because your body wants to remember that pleasure. So when you also have learning is associated with the dopaminic surge. Why? Because the body wants to learn what you did there, and then they'll be able to, to re replicate it and do it again. Also, you will have, when you have adrenaline, you have a fight or flight, so your adrenaline is spiked, you also are able to concentrate normally on that one thing that caused your adrenaline. What does this look like? You're about to get in a car wreck. Brother Woods mentioned the, the ride home. As soon as he was alerted to that tree, he had an increase in adrenaline. Yes. Once again, you may not know that, but that's exactly what happened. You had an increase in adrenaline. Your blood pressure spiked. Your heart rate goes up automatically, and your heightened awareness, and then you're concentrating on what? The road. As soon as he learned what it was that caused the adrenaline, you concentrate on what caused it, which is the road or the tree in the road, really. So once again, all that being said, please keep in mind these things work one with the other, and you cannot separate them at all. Now, I do want to make this known also. Questions, comments, please. You know how it works around here. 
If you have any questions or comments, please, please just say, Brother Andrew, alert me. If I'm not looking that way, please just yell at me. So you have these different chemical reactions, reactions going on. Low levels, depending on the situation, if your situation demands it, you get a spike of adrenaline. If your situation demands it, dopamine. Situation demands it, serotonin. Let me note serotonin as well. Because as we deal with dopamine, you'll have to note serotonin. Because dopamine and serotonin are vice versa. They go against one another. Just keep that in mind. We'll explain it a little bit. But whenever you have more dopamine, you have less serotonin. And when you have more serotonin, you have less dopamine. Those two, they don't fight each other, but they don't go get along well with each other. So, that being said, dopamine's function. Now, you do not have to know all of this to know the dangers, but to properly understand the dangers and know how dangerous the dangers are, you need to have some understanding of what we're about to talk about. So, dopamine serves as the primary neurotransmitter used in motivation. This is going to become more and more apparent as we go through. But it serves as a primary neurotransmitter used in motivation. I don't know if you've thought about this. You may not have. But have you ever thought about what motivates you? And I don't mean the reason in the sense that you have this in mind and you're motivated to do it. But what even produces motivation? Well, it does. But I'm saying is what produces desire. We just know we feel it but we don't necessarily know why it's there. And I'm not, again, once again, talking about the, the basis of your motivation or your desire, but desire itself and motivation itself. Do you know why you actually feel happy? What is going on to make you feel happy? And what is going on to make you feel sad? Now you say, well, I thought that was all spiritual, Brother Andrew. Not all. And once again, like I said, physiology and spirituality are so intertwined one with another that you cannot have a proper system of spirituality if your physicality is all messed up. That has to be taken care of in some form or another. When we get deeper into this, we're going to find out that when God sanctifies you, in some sense, this is a lot, this may be higher things than we know, but there is some sense He heals your body of things. He fixes things that you messed up by your actions. That is a gracious God, by the way. But anyways... They're so intertwined, they have to be used together so that when you feel motivation to do something, you are not only feeling a spiritual thing, you are feeling a physical reaction in your body that is happening, motivating you to do something. It is commonly mislabeled as the pleasure transmitter. Even in this, we know pleasure. The reason we do that is because we usually are not motivated to do things that are not pleasurable. So, what ends up happening is we equate motivation with pleasure. They are not the same thing. But we usually find them working in conjunction one with another because, like I said, we're usually not too motivated to do things we don't care to do. Just a note on that, that is where discipline is going to have to kick in, and we'll deal with more of that a little bit later on. It is used to produce feelings of drive and not pleasure. That's just saying the same thing again. Dopamine being released in your body drives you back to the pleasurable activity. It is not what produces the pleasure. So dopamine is used, once again, dopamine along with glutamate makes a memory. Also with acetylcholine, the learning chemical, 
Those all work in conjunction one with another. So now you're motivated by your memory. You know what caused you the pleasure. So now you are motivated to go back to the pleasurable activity that brought about whatever it may be, whatever type of pleasure it is. This is a key here. It is a non-infinite yet renewable resource. Non-infinite yet renewable resource. What do I mean by that? You can deplete your dopamine storage, but it will renew itself. It's like you're ordering something online that it's out of stock. They're going to put it back into stock eventually, but you cannot access it right now because it is not on the shelves. And so if your dopamine is completely out of stock, you've depleted it all, you're going to have some major problems until your body can reproduce dopamine. Is not evil or harmful when it's in its proper uses. Dopamine is not the enemy here. All right? We're going to talk a lot of things about dopamine that makes it seem like the enemy, but it is not the enemy. You have got to have this chemical to live. You will not live on this earth without dopamine. I'll give you a case study in a little bit while, but you do not exist, you do not work, you do not do anything without dopamine. It's original design to come after exertion and prepare the mind for further exertion. That is very important as we get to the dangers of the modern world. So, how this dopamine works, though, is there's a baseline, a baseline of dopamine, always within your body. At it, right now, you're in a resting state. You feel tired, maybe. You might feel uninterested. I don't know. You might feel annoyed. I don't know. But right now, to some extent, there is a baseline of dopamine in your body. In other words, a regulated line of dopamine. When you go throughout the day and you partake of certain activities, pleasurable, non-pleasurable, if you partake of a pleasurable activity, your dopamine goes up. How much of a high peak, how sharp of a peak versus a slow um, degrading back into, it all depends on the activity and how much you like that activity. But you do have a baseline and you have peaks. When you have a peak for a lot of activities, you also have a quick decline and then you can drop below baseline. Take a guess at what below baseline feels like. Depression. Yes. Well, yeah. you're usually in a depressed state when your dopamine is low. So I don't know if Brother Woods was depressed when he got back. I wouldn't think so. But anyways, <laughs> that's a different chemical. But anyways, so... After now, now this is also important. If you have one spike of dopamine and then it drops back down, not that big a deal. If you have continual spikes over and over and over again, it changes your baseline dopamine. But it doesn't raise it. It actually lowers it because you've got to come back down. And so when you have repeated boom, 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 you would think that would raise it. You're happy all the time. You're just happy, 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 happy. No, you're not. It actually lowers your dopamine baseline, and you're in a more depressed state continually. And the reason that is is several. But if you have a high spike in dopamine, what have you just done? Depleted your storage. You don't have as much to go throughout the body. So it raise, lowers it, brings it down, down. 
This is a danger. One of the dangers of the modern world is when we have so much access to dopamine release that we are unhappy people. This is going to become more apparent as we go on. So, this baseline is of utmost importance. Utmost importance. Brother Woods talked about this morning how that it is all by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you might think you're a good person, and you've got things under control, and you're doing things right, and you're just a motivated person, and you've got da-da-da-da-da-da-da, on and on we go. Let me tell you that if you are, quote-unquote, called a motivated person, you had nothing to do with that. It's how your body operates. There are some people who have a natural, more natural high storage of dopamine. And as such, they are more motivated and driven naturally. There are people who have a lower storage of dopamine naturally. They are more of a quieter backstage, just not out there in the front, just not motivated, so to speak, as the others. Now, as I said at the beginning, though, a reason does not mean an excuse. And just because you found the reason you're an unmotivated person does not give you an excuse to be an unmotivated person. There are things you can do to help this along. So, dopamine triggers. This is not an exhaustive list, believe me, all right? But here's the simplicity of it. You know that just smelling a cookie baking can release dopamine? Yep. <laughs> Eating a food you enjoy increases dopamine. A burning candle makes you happy when you smell it. Dopamine, depending on the flavor, that's right. Yeah. Now, there will, on that note, Brother Cottle, thank you. No dopamine for you, brother. No dopamine for you. But on that note, a lot of this that we are going to talk about is on a case-by-case basis. And it may release dopamine for you, but it might not release dopamine for another person. This is the differences in, in personality that we talk about, the differences in desires. Because I can smell a cookie baking. I love peanut butter cookies. But if you hate peanut butter, a peanut butter cookie is not going to release no dopamine for you. Just Brother Cottle has a candle his wife likes, obviously, but he don't. And so she's going to get dopamine, but he ain't getting a lick of it. And so unhappy people. But you can also have physical exercise. Now, that is also dependent on how much you actually like physical exercise. If you don't care for it, you ain't getting no dopamine, all right, until you, note this, until you actually complete the exercise. There's a note there. Accomplishing a task, that's all dependent upon the task and whether or not you like doing it. You will note, though, if you get a task done you don't like doing, what do you feel afterwards? Pleasure. You're happy about that thing. It's over with. So some of this is dependent upon how much you like the task. If you like the task and you complete it, you might actually get a decrease in dopamine. If you don't like the task and you complete it, you might get an increase, depending on the situation. A text can release dopamine, an email, a video, or even just the sound of a notification. All of this is unconscious. You can't fight this. All right? So that's why I say a lot of these things happen to us without us even knowing them. And you don't even know you're happy or depressed until you stop and think about it. Now, when I talk about depression, I am not talking about the state that a man may be in because his conscience is bothering him, because he's a sinful man. That is a separate study altogether. I'm talking about natural, natural states that we are in. 
simply by the workings of our bodies and not because of sin. We haven't got to sin yet. We're going to get there in a little while. Involuntary, yes. This is correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. You should be very happy that God does not judge you by how you feel. You should be very happy about that because there'd be a lot of us that are headed to hell because of the way we feel. If that's simply what the reason was, if God only judged you because of how you feel and not because of what you do. See, God is so gracious. God is so gracious. He designed this whole world system based upon actions, based upon what you do and not necessarily uncontrollable things. You know what a tyrant God would be if he judged you upon uncontrollable things? He'd be in a lot of trouble. But no, he has put it all within your realm of control. And so you will only be judged, as Brother Woods preached this morning, you will only be judged by your sin. What is sin? An act of the will. And that alone will judge you or condemn you. God will judge you. So all of these things can happen. Like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. You can go throughout your whole life, whatever you like is a dopamine release. Why does the body do that? Because it's trying to motivate you to go back and do it again. There's an interesting study done with rats. Now, the reason they do it with rats is because the rat brain and the human brain are actually quite similar. And so, you can make a joke there, but I won't. Um, But anyways, so the reason they do it, though, is because they want to study exactly what happens without taking a human test subject, which is often illegal. So they do it on animals, which is fine. Um, But what happened was is they got two rats. They put each rat in a separate cage. They gave each rat a drink of a very sweetened beverage. So the rat obviously liked it. He liked the sweetened beverage. One rat was a natural rat, nothing done to the rat. The second rat was a rat that they had injected a drug into to block dopamine receptors. So the rat felt no dopamine in the feeling. He still had motiva- He still had movement, so there was some dopamine, but he felt no drive whatsoever. So the second day they came around, so to speak, the first and the second rat, they both moved in, still inside the cage, moved the sweetened beverage one rat length away. So, what, six inches max. Move the drink six inches away. The rat with dopamine just simply walked the extra six inches to the drink and went and drunk it. The rat without dopamine would not go six inches to get the drink again, even though it liked the drink. Why did it not do that? No dopamine. No dopamine. That is the importance of this. 
If you do not have it, you will do nothing, nothing whatsoever. And so people that have less motivation have less dopamine. As I said, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is by no means an excuse to be unmotivated. Discipline still has to come into the, which we'll talk about later. So with all that being said, you all know how the brain works now, don't you? To say this is elementary neuroscience is to be gracious. This is not even an introduction to neuroscience. This is just simply to get a point across, is all this is. So I have, I have by the grace of God, we have, uh, me and Brother Dylan, have really delved into the depths of this thing. And it has been a roller coaster. I told my wife the other day, Yesterday, I, I've been waking up each, not each morning, but several mornings this week, and the first thing I think about is dopamine. Just simply. <laughs> first thing out of my mind is I'm thinking, I'm getting up to get a drink of water in the middle of the night, I'm thinking about dopamine. It's, 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 it's been a, we have immersed ourselves in this, and um, there's a lot more. So if you do have questions on it, I may, may be able to help you out on that may. That's a key. Yes. Yes. The notification? Yes. Mm-hmm. No. Yes. It is. Now let's talk about that a little bit, Brother John. So we're back to this picture right here. Now, this is normal activity right here, normal activity. As I said, though, depending on the activity you're partaking in will increase your dopamine baseline or decrease your dopamine base baseline. If you're living basically just a, a disciplined life where you once in a while partake of a good dopamine spike, whatever that means to you, I'm going to give you some numbers here in a minute, but if you just, re- you know, every once in a while, but your life is basically on a flat line, so to speak. Most people would say, well, that man doesn't do anything, so to speak. He never does anything. He just lives a steady life. That type of person you will find is usually happier. Why? If you don't have the spikes, you don't have the drops. And if you don't have the spikes, you don't have the depletion of dopamine. You're living in a life of, comp- of steady dopamine, which is a good place to be. That's where you want to be. So... This being normal, it's where you get normal dopamine released into the cells, and everybody's happy, hunky-dory, so to speak. Everybody's getting along good. You're living a good old life, no problem. Well, you, don't, you have problems, but you also are in a happy, continual state. Now, once again, this is physical. Spiritual plays another whole part in this, but it is intertwined one with another. You will find Christians who are constantly chasing a high are not happy people. Reasons are physical and spiritual. So, we have these chemical releases going to the neurotransmitter. The body is a beautiful thing. God designed our bodies very well. He knew that if a human being gets too much dopamine, it'll drive him crazy. So, he designed a way to fix that. That if you get an increase, a spike of dopamine of unnatural levels, unproportional, these cellular... Right here, these receptors will shut down. So if you get a spike of dopamine that's out of this world, so to speak, your body will naturally cut these things off. 
and say, we're not going to accept no more dopamine. Now, that's good for your body, but guess how that makes you feel? Lousy. Because you're not getting no dopamine release. You're getting a release, I should say, but you're not receiving it in the next cell. And so your body says, whoa, man, you need to calm down, so to speak. So let's cut these things off. Let's seal it up for right now because this guy is getting into some major problems here. So it'll cut off these receptors, close them up. Now, it will open them back up again after the dopamine is gone. And so what ends up happening is when you get repeated spikes over and over and over and over again, your increase of dopamine in your bloodstream, it's going up. Your baseline's going to go down because you're depleting your storage, but your ba the dopamine released in the body is still going up, so you're living a high, so to speak. Your body says, all right, you need to cool it. So it shuts these receptors down. That starts to bring you back down lower. But a lot of times what ends up happening is we start to feel lousy, and so we go to another dopamine source. Boom, 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 try to get it again. Try to get it again. Try to get it again. Till eventually where we have exhausted our dopamine sources, and now we're depressed. Now we're unhappy completely because our body has shut these things down. Now, let me give you some numbers real quick. What dopamine spikes look like. So you can have natural dopamine releases. You can have unnatural dopamine releases. Let me give you some examples of this. Chocolate. Chocolate, if you like chocolate, this is all, once again, this is all subject to your preferences. But if you like chocolate, chocolate increases your dopamine baseline. Your dope, so above baseline, so to speak. So if you have a baseline, I'm just going to throw off some numbers. If you have a baseline of 10, dopamine will increase, or chocolate will increase your dopamine level 1.5. So 10, another 10 plus half, so 15. So your dopamine level is 25 now because you went up 1.5%. Or 1.5 times, excuse me, not 1.5%. Another one is sexual activity increases it by two times. Just remember these numbers. These are interesting. Nicotine, smoked nicotine, which is just a chemical. Nicotine is a chemical. But smoked nicotine, when smokers take in it breathed in, it increases the dopamine 2.5 times. Now, also with these, depending on the activity, you're... No. Secondhand smoke, you don't get the nicotine from. You get the damage of the smoke still, but the nicotine is found when you breathe it in from the cigarette. Yes, yes, that is right. Um, so also with these, these spikes that you get, depending on the activity, as I said, will bring you down sharply, drop you back down, or slowly bring you back down. You want the spikes. If you're going to take a spike of dopamine, you want the one that slowly brings you back down. You do not want the one that goes, whew, because then you're, in, you're a roller coaster of emotions. But nicotine smoke is a very short-lived spike. It's usually within a few minutes after the cigarette is smoked, it's down again. And that's why, that's why you have chain smokers, one right after the other, trying to keep the baseline dopamine up. Cocaine is 2.5 times, the same as nicotine. So if you're in the middle of nicotine high, you're at the same level of a cocaine high. Now, there are other chemicals involved, so this is just dopamine, all right? This is just dopamine. 
MF. Thank you. What in the world? I could not remember that. Methamphetamines. Guess how much it increases? Ten times. Ten times. You want to know why it's one of the most, it is the most addictive chemical drug in our world? Because it increases dopamine ten times. Now you imagine the feeling of that. I don't know if we had any here who have partaken of that or not. But if you can just imagine ten times the amount of dopamine in your system after that is released. Or after you intake of that. So... Depending on what you're doing will increase the dopamine in your system. And by increasing the dopamine, dopamine will increase your pleasure or the mood you are in and make you happier. The problem is with spikes such as these is that when you partake of them regularly, they cause your baseline to drop. And it also be, makes you more dependent upon what you're doing. But if take, take, let's take methamphetamines for a second. So you take a methamphetamine. Guess what your body's going to do? Shut down receptors. Your body is smart enough to know, hey, this is not good. This is, you should not be this happy, in other words. You should not be this happy all at once. All right? All right? Because here, here's a, here's a key focus. Your body knows when you have exerted yourself or not. Your body knows this guy ain't done nothing worth this amount of dopamine. Because he has not done any hard labor. He has not moved any hard objects. He has not accomplished any hard task. He just simply stuck a needle in his, in his arm. And so and all of a sudden, he's this happy. That shouldn't be like this. We've got a problem. So your body says, all right, cut it off. Cut him off. Makes the man depressed, sad. To where he goes, he tries to find it again. So he takes even more methamphetamines. He smokes another cigarette. He eats another piece of chocolate. Why? Just to get the same high he got off the first one. But that's not how dopamine works. Caffeine is an interesting drug. Caffeine does actually, actually does not release dopamine. What caffeine does is opens up the receptors wider. So if you're taking caffeine, you're actually increasing the receptors. You're not adding more, but you're opening them up more. So that now you can get, if there is more dopamine in your system, it can come in quicker. Yes, you get happier. Eating a piece of chocolate along with a cup of coffee. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry, Sister Knox, Brother Cottle's asking. You're fine, I'll get to you in just a second. Mm-hmm. It depends, Brother Carl. It all depends on the substance. Methamphetamines, as soon as it hits the bloodstream, and the bloodstream carries it back to the brain, which is not long. Your, your blood moves pretty fast through your body. And so if it's a methamphetamine, as soon as it gets in your bloodstream and gets back to your brain, you're going to get that spike. And like I said, I've never done it, so I don't know, but usually the spike is pretty quick. You're going to go up there pretty quick. You're going to get high pretty quick. It's going to be gradual in some sense because the bloodstream carries the amount of drug to the, blood, to the brain, but you are going to get a spike. You're not going to get a raise or a gradual raise. With let me, let me go about it a different way. 
there are certain things you can do that will allow for a gradual raise of dopamine. But usually these look like hard work. Usually these work look like exertion. And so let's take exercise for a minute. If you like exercise or you don't like exercise, it really doesn't matter on this scale. But if you, if you do like exercise, the more you get into it, the more your dopamine goes up because you are exerting your body more and more and more and more and more. And so you get a slow increase of dopamine during whatever workout you're doing until you hit the peak of it, and then it'll be a slow decrease again. Eating a piece of chocolate is not that way. You have not exerted yourself. You've simply put something in your body that's going to increase your dopamine. And so it's going to be a spike. A lot of times you can feel happy before it even gets to the mouth. The reason is, is because your body's anticipating it. Your body's like, oh, here it comes, here it comes, praise God. And then you eat it, and then you, woo! And then, but guess what? As soon as it gets out of the taste of your mouth, you're going to be coming back down. And then that's when you reach for the other piece of chocolate, and you go back down, and on and on we go. So there are certain activities that are good. Once again, folks, please understand, dopamine is not the enemy. It's not the enemy. Your body has to have it, and it uses it. We would live an awful life without it, all right? Depending on what you do. It's all in what you do. It's all in what you Just say that, everybody. It's all in what you do, all right? It's all in what you do. Sister Knox, go ahead. Caffeine is not bad on this sense. Now, an overuse of caffeine will obviously, and then you've got trouble because you've got an increase of the neurotransmitter. But also, if, if we can get into another discussion, though, Sister Knox, so I'm not necessarily going to, but as far as on a dopaminic system, no. Caffeine's not bad. There are other properties of caffeine that has to be used in moderation. So, Brother Emmy? Yes. has and this is an important st- another another step we're going to take here what brother Emmy just said it's very key because what ends up happening with an addict is everything else starts to pale everything else starts to get boring get painful to partake of except for the one dopamine release that you focused on 
whether it be methamphetamines. Uh, that's once again, that's one of the, that's the, the upper crest, so to speak, of addictive drugs. And the reason is because it's such a high dopamine release. Now, the issue, though, is remember what peaks of dopamine does. Drops baseline. And so if another activity does not match the peak you have, it's going to be not only, quote, unquote, boring, it's going to be actually physically painful to do. Your brain is going to hurt trying to do it. It is that destructive. So this is what ends up happening is when people become addicts, and once again, because I'm saying that there's a reason people are addicts, that is not an excuse, all right? It's just the reason. So when people become addicts, and they basically, they throw their lives into whatever substance it is. I mean, that's all they care about. They work to get it. They live to get it. The only reason they eat is so that they can take more of it, and that's the only reason. Alcoholics, um, smokers, usually not quite as much. They usually have other areas, but people like this. And the way we can do it even with food is we start to live to eat instead of eat to live. That's another area that that can manifest itself. But the reason for that is is because you like that release of dopamine so much that unless something can match it, however you're geared, unless something can match it, everything else is going to start to pale in comparison. So much so, that as I said, it becomes painful. When you have the big spikes, so you have your baseline of dopamine, you have your big spike of dopamine, depending on the substance, but most of the addic addictive substances, they not only cause a decrease, but the decrease matches the increase. So for a meth addict who partakes of methamphetamines, he gets 10 times as much. He gets 10 times of a drop, too. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, they can. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's is there's things that can be done to change it. It depends on the substance. So like with alcohol, the drunk that you get is the alcohol, the alcoholic effect of the brain, on the brain. And that's a whole different section of the brain that that happens with. It dulls other receptors and things. But um, depending on if a person gets drunk after one beer or after ten shots of vodka, that type of thing, um, it all depends on whether or not their their brain function is different than the person that got drunk just off of one beer. That is all built into physiology. 
once again, it doesn't make the one beer right. It just means that he has a higher tolerance for the influence of alcohol on his body. So same with caffeine. A man can drink one cup of coffee and be wired all day, so to speak. And one man can drink 10 cups of coffee, and it's just a normal day. The reason for that is, is because he's made different genetically. genetically. And a lot of these are passed down from our fathers and our mothers. And so if you, and once again, a reason is not an excuse, folks. But you will find that a lot of times issues like alcoholism runs in the family. Why does it run in the family? Because that one family member at one time discovered they really like alcohol, and it really gives them the drive and the push and the buzz. And so all they did was discover a genetic issue that's been there in their bodies. And so the next person gets, because of environment, they grew up in a drinking household, and also because of genetics, their body is predisposed, so to speak, to like certain things that then causes them to partake of it. Isn't an excuse. No. It's just a reason. There is a reason some people like to drink till they're drunk. Some people like to shoot up meth until they're, they're high. There's some people who like, you get to pornography. There's some people who like the pornography drive and the high. They could care less about drugs, but they get it from that. Other people get it because the foods they eat, they get it from. And so they're not alcoholics, but they like the food. And it, it's so varied. It's so all over the place. Humanity is so varied. And you will find usually there's, there's a natural reason for it, and there's also environmental reasons for it. In the end, it's still going to come down to sin, but the reasons are still there. Reasons do not mean an excuse. Mm -hmm. Energy drinks are an interesting thing, Brother, um, Brother John. So... So there are natural increases to energy that you can take, and there are synthetic ways. The natural ways have been around since God created the earth. And there are natural, actually you can go, I don't know if Brother Woods has ran into this, but you can go like to the African bush, and there are plants there that people will eat, put into a stew, put into a tea, that will increase certain chemicals in the brain. They will make you extremely happy. They will make, give you drive. They will give you energy. No. <laughs> But if you ask, if you ask the witch doctor, ask the witch doctor. <laughs> okay, don't ask a witch doctor. But what ends up happening is witch doctors know witch doctors know these plants, and they say, "I want him to fall in love with me." So, well, give him this tea to drink. It's an aphrodisiac. It increases natural drive. And so now he falls in with love the first woman he meets, so to speak. Oh, it's spiritual. Are there elements to witch doctors that are demonic? Absolutely. Are there some which is just parlor tricks? Yes. Yes. And so on your note, Brother John, when we have natural increases of energy, they are obviously going to be a lot better for you than the synthetic ones. Now, are they changing us genetically? Not necessarily. They are using the genetics that are already there and altering them, but it's not like something you're going to, if you drink 10 energy drinks and you birth a child, that child is going to be, you know, dependent on energy drinks. Not necessarily, but there are similar chemicals that are like that because if you have a mother who is a meth addict and she births a baby, the baby's already addicted. The baby's already addicted. Why? Because... 
It depends on the type of chemical it's using. It all depends on the chemical. So, well, it is. Oh, yes, once again, folks, once, please, you are not all neuroscientists after this class, okay? I am not the neuroscientist after this class, okay? This is one very, very specific, simple study. There are so much more going on in your brain other than this, all right? Other than this. How a man can study this and not believe in God, I do not know. I do not know. But anyways, so areas of concern. Brother Cottle, shield your eyes. All right, donuts. <laughs> uh, so, so here are areas of concern. Here are areas of concern that we have. So all of these, in some way or another, are going to be natural desires. You said social media and entertainment. That's not, it is. We'll get there in a little bit, but it is. It's natural to want such things. These are areas of concern that all have to be disciplined. All right? Now, food, obviously, we have to discipline it. Sleep, you have to discipline it. Anger and outrage. Did you know that you are high on dopamine when you are angry? And that's why there are some people who are addicted to being angry. They like it. Well, I don't see how they can like it, Brother Angel. They do. They're happiest when they're angry with somebody. They are. They're happiest when they're angry with someone. You all don't believe me, do you? <laughs> Ask a pastor who's been doing it for a long time. If he knows of somebody who's just happy being angry, they'll say yes. All right, so complaining. You get a dopamine release when you complain. Do you know that? Do you know that? You do. There are some people who are not happy unless they're complaining. Yeah, it's true. Anyways, physical fitness. Now, this is a double-edged sword here because you can be to where you like it so much that it is your high. And you can also not like it and do it not at all to where it causes an area of concern. So we'll get into that one maybe a little bit later. But So that's an area of concern. Entertainment. Obviously, this has to be disciplined. But humanity in some sense, excuse me, humanity in some sense has a natural desire to be entertained. It's all in the choice of entertainment. Social media plays on several different factors, but all of them have a natural base. All of them have a natural base. Now, let's look at some data, just to show that Brother Andrew, Brother Woods, and Brother Cottle are just, they're not just fear-mongering here, okay? All right, there is actually concerns here. So, smartphones. Let's get into this one a little bit. Statistics. Let's look at these. 85% of U.S. adults own a smartphone as of 2022. 85%. Now, you have got to take into account, well, Brother Andrew, I think it'd be more than that. This is worldwide. So, even in Africa, there's a high cell phone count. 85%. Now, it all depends on the area of Africa. Obviously, if you're in the bush, nobody's got one. Obviously. But 85%. There you go. All right. 85%. There you go. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I will note this. Please, please understand here, folks, okay? This is not the danger area yet. We're getting to that, all right? This is just statistics. So 85% have an own smartphone. 95% of teens have access to a smartphone. Now, why would you say, well, how can that be higher than the 85% of adults? It's because teens interact with one another. And so even if the parent of the one poor bloke in this part of town doesn't have one, he more than likely has a friend who has a dad who has one. And so just because the parents, the adults don't, the teens still do. Interesting. 53% of children own a smartphone by the age of 11. Not have access. Own a smartphone by age of 11. Incidentally, guess what age, the average age, that a child will be exposed to pornography is? 11. Same age that the majority of them have a smartphone. Huh, interesting. Just keep that in note, would you? On average, Americans spend five hours and 24 minutes on their mobile device each day. Now, you look at that and you say, oh, that's terrible. That shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. But you also need to take into account why they're on their phone. Some people are on their phone for business. They have to be on it all day long. That's, that's true. That's a possibility. Once again, these are not necessarily the dangers yet. We're going to get in there. On average, Americans check their phones at least 96 times per day or once every 10 minutes. If you want to check yourself, find out exactly how much you have to use that cell phone every day. And does it really take you checking it every 10 minutes? Here's some reasons even more surprising regarding teens and tweens. Teens, seven hours, 22 minutes on their phone a day. Almost a full-time job. Seven hours and 22 minutes. Now, you know for a fact that a teen is not using that cell phone for business. All right? So this is a problem. And tweens, ages 8 to 12, not far behind, 4 hours and 44 minutes, average, 4 hours and 44 minutes. Between 2015 and 2019, the percentage of teens who said they spend time watching online videos, this is not just cell phone use, this is simply watching online videos, jumped from 34% to 69% over four years, four years. And the number of tweens who reported watching online videos rose from 24% to 56% in that same time frame. You say, Brother Andrew, what's the big deal about the 2015 to 2019? 2019 is when the study ended. 2015 is approximately around the time that TikTok started becoming popular. What is TikTok? Video sharing. And so what ends up happening here is there's a large increase because of several factors, but one of them is platforms such as TikTok. By age 11, 53% of kids have their own smartphone, as we said. By age 12, 69 of them, 69% of them do, an increase from 41% in 2015. In 2015, 41% of kids had a smartphone. It has jumped from 41 to 53 for children age 11, and from 41 to age, or for age 12, 69%. Now, once again, so okay, Brother Andrew, there's the numbers. What does it even mean? Is it really that big a deal? Let's look at something. Give you a moment to look at this chart that we have here. So the top chart, persons aged 12 to 17 who had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. 
Now, how they studied this is, have you, they would ask the children, have you had in the past year a situation that has put you into a depressive state? You had a really bad low time at one point. Not asking if they're still in that depressive state, or at least, but at least they've had one since the time that this has taken place. Let's note this chart. You see here the semi-regularity from 2005 to around 2011. Same with the boys. And then a big increase. What happened in this time frame? Social media was there before. What happened here? Smartphones became accessible to where just about everybody is getting one. Everybody is getting one. So in this time frame, and I know, I know we say causation does not mean effect. I understand. And so, but the question needs to start, be, start to ask, why is there an increase around this time frame? Humanity didn't change all of a sudden in 2010, okay? Something changed in the, the environment of humanity. <laughs> yes, pretty much for most people. There were some cell phones. What was the iPhone release? 2008, thank you, brother. 2008, but it was not popular yet. It's a rich thing. It's a rich person's toy, so to speak. It's really expensive, and so it's not going to be given out to as much. But now, when you get in this area, they became more accessible. So this one here, do you have a psychological disorder, depression? These are students. So these are older by age right here. Now, this is not the age of the, the participant, okay? These are around... If I remember right, these are 19 to 24-year-olds, if I remember correctly. You note, once again, around the same area, same big spike, same big spike. Now, let's look at another one right here. Yes. Mm -hmm. It does, and we're going to get to that in a minute. It does. It is. And there's going to be reasons for that, and we're going to discuss those reasons. Now this one. This one looks a little more complicated, but it's saying the exact same thing with more emphasis. So hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm. All right? So this is self-harm done to somebody. This is what they've, they've cut themselves or something along that lines. So with boys... Straight across. Semi, I mean, you have some irregularities here, but the baseline is the same. No, no, no big changes, even for age 10 to 14. Look at what happened to women. So there's spike here. Now, this can be attributed some to even things like um, anorexia being popular at certain time frames in our culture. It's things like that. And so um, depressive things, goth. I don't remember, remember people, you may remember goth going around in your school at certain times if you're that age, roundabouts, um, well, maybe a little bit older. But um, it happened around that time, dark dresses, dark boots, blackened eyes, you know, all that kind of stuff was going around. What does that cause? Depression, okay, for so other reasons we won't get into. But anyways, so here, though, look at the ages, ages 15 and 19. These are... Middle school, high school, high school mainly. 
a lot of this stuff goes around in high school. And so they're kind of a little bit all over the place until you get to that magic time frame around here that it starts to go up and still going up. Ages 20 to 24, the more level-headed, so to speak, it's just continually on the rise. This is self-harm now, okay? This is self-harm. Look what happens age 10 to 14. Eh, not a big change. Bam, shoots up. It shoots up. It nearly triples. Nearly triples. Now, you had to think about, what is this? This is 10 to 14-year-olds cutting themselves. And not boys, girls. Girls. Now, once again, you have to beg the question, what happens in this time frame? Smartphones and, i.e., social media start to become more and more accessible and predominant in our culture. Now, back to Brother Woods' question. Why is it that we see an increase with girls more than we see an increase with boys? Now, with if you go back to this chart, you do see a slight increase with men, but not nowhere near as girls. It's because girls are more likely to talk about it, for one. They're more likely to give the people giving the interview. They're more likely to say, yeah, girls are. Uh, yeah, I had a depressive episode. While boys are not as likely to do so. But on this one, it's hard to fake a self-harm, all right? But with boys, we see a straight, so to speak, baseline here. And with girls, it's up, up, up. Because boys manifest their depression differently than girls. Girls will cut themselves, self-harm. Boys will become more violent to others, not themselves. So what this looks like is, so while a girl may do self-harm, a boy will become more violent. Now, it will, the predominant, Males are the ones that predominantly commit suicide. Majority of suicide are males. In other words, they'll go the full way. They won't just do the self-harm. They'll kill themselves. That's not reflected in these numbers. No, not necessarily on this scale, Brother, Brother John. There are other um, studies that show that in a different way, but not necessarily here. Um, No, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, yes and no, but when you when you have certain things that um, exacerbate the feelings that go along with victimhood, if I could put it that way, yes, it's the same idea. It's the same outcome. And so when you have situations like this that you have a large spike, even here, this is more steady, but when you have large spikes here, the same feelings of being a victim of such an activity are going to be the same as being a victim of social media. The feelings are going to be the same, the chemical reactions in the brain and everything. But back to what I was saying with the baseline for boys versus the baseline for girls is that boys are, become, are more violent. That's just their natural way. Let me, let me caution you here for all, all the parents. Do not try to drive the violence out of your son channel it to the proper way, but don't drive it out. It's a natural God-given thing for a boy to be violent. Oh, violence, Brother Andrew. Violence is good when it's used in its proper way. Do not try to drive it out of your son. You will emasculate him. You will depress him. You will depress him. Yes, aggression is a good way to put it. That's right. Yes.
Yes. Yes. Men are more naturally inclined to take up the sword. So, like I said, they're more naturally inclined to take up the sword against themselves by suicide or others. The pre- mass shooters are predominantly, if not almost 100% male. We live in a state of, of being that has so emasculated and depressed young men. Such a pitiful state for a young man that they react in the natural way that they know, which is violence. And when they become violent, there is usually no hold because they are undisciplined. They have not learned discipline. And so they just release it upon the culture, and that usually ends up looking like mass shootings. The school shootings that take place, rack your mind for the past school shootings that have happened. What are they? Boys. They're boys. Troubled boys. Look at them in their face. Look at their depressed state. Look at their pictures before they committed it and after if they're still alive. You can see the depression on their face, the sense of hopelessness and lostness that's there. They have no drive. We've stolen it from them. So to Brother Woods' question, why girls are more affected than boys, in this scale is because of the natural aggressive state of men, of boys. They are more aggressive towards themselves or towards society. Now, also on this, social media affects girls in a different way and is that of the comparison game, the comparison game. And so young girls are more likely to compare themselves with what they see on the screen versus boys who are just going to, and I don't mean to be crude, but just enjoy what's on the screen. Predominantly young boys use, now this is another thing, parents pay attention to this please. Pay attention because your parent, your child is not so special that they're going to get away from this. But boys, young boys, use technology predominantly in two ways. Can anybody guess what they are? Don't be afraid to say it. Pornography and games. Pornography and games. Girls, not so much. They use it for reading. But it's usually not reading the best of things. So they use it for things like looking at social media posts, but instead of saying, hey, wow, they just, they look great. That's just, I'm happy for them. Well, they look great. I don't look that great. And I don't know if I ever look that great. So it's better just to kill myself, harm myself, to get attention, to get attention. So they do it. They self-harm. Why? That they might get some attention because they're not getting it from another source. Now, that's one reason. That's not a generalization. But that is one predominant reason why they do it. Boys, not so much. They're more than likely, as I said, not to be crude. They're just simply going to enjoy what they see on the screen, not compare themselves to it. This is just a natural way that God has designed people. Once again, these are not unnatural, these are not unnatural happenings. Is that the enemy has exploited natural bodies to do these types of things. So, moving on. Technology and your brain. Social media's design is to hook, keep, hook you, keep you, and make you come back, providing you with continuous dopamine dumps. As I said before, when you have dopamine over and over and over and over again, your baseline drops down. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Continuous dopamine dumps. Your social media feed is custom tailored. What you see is not what your neighbor, family member, or friend sees. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, 
So this is how the algorithms work. They generate and build a digital profile attempting to understand you and what you like and then force feed it to you. Social media success is dependent on which platform does the best job at predicting who you are and what you like. Think about the simple power of this notification. When you see it on your phone, someone tagged you in a photo. Now, this is, this is going to be so, so very important because a lot of times I don't think, in fact, I'm almost positive, the general public is not aware of this. But your social media, what you have on your phone, or whatever it is, is tailor-built for you. It's not built for the man or the woman sitting next to you, not even your husband or wife. Me and my wife both have social media accounts. I get on hers, I'm very little interested. Very little. It's usually food. <laughs> it's a lot of food. I don't mean to embarrass my wife, just to make a point here, folks, okay? It's, it is decorative stuff, Brother, Brother John. It's just, it's things that I'm not interested in. And I can, I can guarantee you, she, get, she gets on mine. We check each other's, folks, all right? We're very open about this. But she can get on mine. She could care less about the stuff I'm looking at. It's not up her alley. And that is not because we have chosen each individual post. It's the algorithms have seen the things we like and dislike, the things we have clicked on and not clicked on, and they have then built our feed particularly for us. Now, this is amazing to me. This is mind-bending almost. That this, when we say algorithms, these are computer-generated software. All right? The computers are doing this. They're saying, Brother Cottle likes this, 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 this. So therefore, I'm only going to show him this, 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 this. There may be a whole other world out there, but it doesn't matter. He's only getting this, 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 this. And so if you are a more naturally depressed person, guess what you're going to get in your feed all the time? Depressive things. That's how it's going to work. So it will further you into a depressive state. On and on and on and on it goes. And so each, each time you click on something in a social media platform, the AI, the algorithm, takes that into account and fine-tunes it a little bit more. A little bit more. And a little bit more. Well, that's something else that, um, depending on the platform. So, depending on the platform that you choose, when you... Platforms mean the type of social media that you're using. So you have Facebook, you have Twitter, you have Instagram, you have TikTok, um, you have WhatsApp, you have YouTube. All these different ones are different types of social media platforms. So when you have, depending on the platform you choose, I am, this, this study is not necessarily meant to demonize social media, okay? It's to alert you of the dangers of it. Just like everything else in the world, there's dangers. There are some social media platforms that are better for you than others. That's just the simplest way to put it. Facebook, there are grave dangers in Facebook. But out of all the others, Facebook is, and I hate to even use it this way, but just so I can make a point, is more the safer one. And the reason is because of the way they have designed their algorithms. Not because Mark Zuckerberg is a saint by any means but simply because the way they have, they have a certain outcome in mind. And to reach that outcome, they have designed their algorithms to do so. TikTok, I'm going to have to be careful here. 
TikTok playground of the devil, just to put it mildly, okay? So if you are partaking of TikTok, let me ask, ask yourself what benefit you're getting from it, okay? Because TikTok, t- yes, spiritual benefit, not no physical pleasure, all right? But spiritual benefit, what kind of spiritual benefit you're getting from it? But TikTok has so designed its platform, its algorithms, to be some of the most intrusive, invasive, and addictive that there is. They have gone down to where they have measured the span of a video to get, you can only post videos that are a certain length. Why? Because they know past that certain length, it's not really addictive. They don't really care. You lose interest in it. They have also so designed it that they, when you first sign on to TikTok, first signed on, I've read about this over and over again. It's, it's, it's a dark hole to go down, all right? So I may spare you to do so. But when you sign on to TikTok, you automatically, when you download the app, just so you know, folks, whenever you download an app onto your phone, you automatically accept user agreements. As soon as you download it. Yes. Well, they do, but some don't, and they don't have to. Because you downloading it is accepting the user agreements. And so when you download TikTok, you, TikTok, you, automatically, you automatically agree to its user agreements. When you download it, and you first thing you start putting in would be like your name, your age, you know, your gender, that type of thing. It starts to wake up the algorithm and build you a profile. So automatically, you put in your age, you put in your gender. It knows, hey, this is a 15-year-old boy, so I'm going to start choosing videos automatically that a 15-year-old boy are probably going to be more interested in. Now, what did we just say that boys usually go into when they get technology? Games and pornography. So it'll start it out mild, not too bad, you know, eh, not too bad. Softcore is what we call it. So you get into some videos, oh, this is a cool game video, you know, video game video. Da-da-da-da-da, that's cool. You get into another one, they may even throw some nature stuff in there, some boy stuff, you know, just boy stuff. And so they throw that in there, that's cool, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they'll throw into some type of softcore pornography. And you don't have to hit like. You don't have to say, I want to see more of that. It knows. By you, they know you're still looking at the screen that you spent 10 seconds looking at that video and you only spent five seconds on the video prior. They say, ah, he liked that one. So you can be there sitting just all of amazed, like, whoa, where did that come from? And you're trying to get it off, so to speak, but it already caught you. And so now it'll go again, the algorithm. Nature video, video game video, you know, not so bad stuff. On and on and on and goes. And again, it'll hit you with another one. And then, oh, you're, you're trying to get it off, and you're, or you may be just dumbfounded for a second. What is that? And then trying to get it off. It's caught you again. So next time, instead of going five videos in between them, it'll go three videos in between them. And then it'll go two videos in between them. And then it'll go to where every video you see is that type of stuff. And so you ain't got to make no choices whatsoever. All you got to do is look at the screen. You ain't got to click on no icons. You ain't got to look at something and say, I definitely want to see more of that. You don't have to do it. It is tailor-built for you. That's why I say TikTok is the playground of the devil. If nothing else, it's the playground of the Chinese communist country, which is close to the devil. So there. All right? But it is not... TikTok, you do know that, I hope, that you, well, I make you aware of it. 
It is run by the Chinese government, all right? Now, you think, what kind of interest would the Chinese government in giving American kids or kids around the world a social media platform? What kind of interest would they have in that? I can, uh, I can let you guess a couple, all right? So, your algorithms are generate digital profile, or your digital profile attempting to understand you and what you like and then force feed it to you. So you don't necessarily even have to like say, I like this, I like this, I want more, I want more, I want more. Just simply by such platforms like TikTok, it'll notice it and say, hey, give them more of that, give them more of that, give them more of that. So, yes. That's fine, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it can. So when you've accepted user agreements, yes, depending on the user agreement, it will give access. And usually it's something, they'll, they'll phrase it all nice in here. They'll say, we only access it when you're using the app. Well, the problem is, unless you close the app out after you're done, it's still running in your background. And so if you're on Facebook five minutes just looking at something, well, that's nice. And then you just, you know, you turn your phone off. That didn't close the app down. It's still running. And so it's listening still to what you're saying. And you're exactly right, Sister Judy. What will happen is we've done this just as an experiment. We've done this. Is you can just leave your phone right beside you. Talk about a product. Five minutes, go back to the phone, go to Facebook, go to YouTube, and they give you an advertisement for that product. Why do they do that? It's because they're listening, folks. I know back in like, I know back in like the 80s, in the 90s even, we were so scared of um, wiretaps. Well, folks, you've got several in your house. Okay, don't worry about it anymore. You ain't got to be scared. They're right there, okay? They are wiretapping you. But now, the reason, the reason they do that is because there's certain things like cross-app tracking. And so if you make a purchase in Amazon, if you have cross-app tracking on, it will alert Facebook that you made a purchase in Amazon. And so it'll go back and forth. They'll talk to each other also. There's another side of that. And that's part of that. So now you say all of this. Well, surely, Brother Andrew, I would know. Surely they ain't got a hold on me. Surely I've overcame that. Let me give you a little story here. This is interesting. Y'all all know who this guy is, don't you? That's Ted Cruz. That's Ted Cruz. Now this is this is funny. All right. I like Ted Cruz on certain levels for some of the things he has stood for. But there's a lot of showmanship and playing in politics, okay? What is this situation right here? This is back on March 23rd in the Supreme Court nomination hearing of Kentonji Brown Jackson. You remember when President Biden appointed this woman to be the next Supreme President? What did I say? Oh, Biden? Eh, not too bad. I mean, I'm, 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 I might not be too far over there. But anyways, President Biden, all right, he appointed this woman to be the next Supreme Court nominee. And so, obviously, they go through the whole rigmarole. It's the, the other side's going to grill them hard and, you know, really pound them down, ask them tough questions. You want to know how much of a play politics is? So, Senator Cruz got up there, and he hammered the woman. I mean, hammered her. He went over his allotted time. I mean, dumped it on her. And other senators were like, Senator Cruz, you need to sit down. You're past your time. You're way over your time. He would not let up on her. As soon as he sat down, he went and checked his Twitter feed to see if he was trending. 
trending, went viral. Soon as he sat down, there was one reporter that showed a picture and said, man, it, it looks like Senator Cruz on his phone over there doing social media after giving that woman a beatdown. And then another reporter behind Senator Cruz said, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. As soon as the man sat down, he checked his Twitter feed to see how viral he went because of the rant he just made. Because of the rant he just made. So, but you see, you see, now, I don't know if he's made changes. I don't know. He did get called out on this. It made some news, but not a whole lot. So I don't know if he made any changes here. They all do it. That's what I'm saying. Is it's, We can fault Tenetta Cruz here, but it's all a play. And this is how much of a drive social media will put on you. And so, in other words, he sat down. He did not pay attention to the next interviewer that got up and started talking to the woman. He could care less. He did his bit. He's going to sit down and see how viral he went now. His dopamine kicked in. That's exactly what it was, Brother John. And he said, I'm going to sit down and see how good I went on Twitter and if this is going to get me some upvotes. Because he pandered to his constituency with that interview. None whatsoever. So, and I'm, I'm moving on, folks. I know this is getting late. Please forgive me. There's a lot here. Well, I got a lot more to share. Well, let me, let me finish this out, okay? I don't have a whole lot more. I really don't. So, and we can talk about this some more. But persuasive technologies. Technology that is designed to change attitudes or behavior of the user through persuasion and social influence, but not necessarily through coercion. This is how social media works. Social media does not twist your arm. It makes you want it. There's a difference. The goal is to do so well it won't even be noticed. And they have accomplished that. You buy something after being shown ad after ad. You believe something after being shown video after video. This is such an interesting statement right here. If a product is free, you are the product. What are these social pl media platforms? They're all free, ain't they? Free to access, free to use. Why? Because they're selling you. They're selling your time to the advertisers that want it. Brother Dylan made this statement, and it's very true. He said there's usually only two... There's only two um, groups that call their constituents users, drug addicts and social media companies. And the reason they do that is because they're just that, users, users. So, troll farms. I really need to hit this before we go. So, bear with me. A troll farm. Back to this persuasive technology, all right? You remember now, they're going to force things on you without you even noticing. All right? They're going to feed you things without you even noticing. So a troll farm or troll factory is an institutionalized group of Internet trolls that seek to interfere in political campaigns and decision-making. People are more likely to share, comment on, and engage with content that arouses strong negative emotions. That's something interesting about social media. The ones that get the most upvotes are negative stories. All right? The ones that go viral are usually negative. Here's an interesting little situation. The Philippines has been called patient zero in the global disinformation epidemic. Political campaigns pay trolls $1,000 to $2,000 per month to create multiple fake social media accounts to post political propaganda and attack critics. The political campaign of President Rodrigo Duarte, I'm assuming, has spent $200,000 to hire online trolls. According to one study, Duarte admitted to hiring trolls for his 2016 
political campaign. I bring this up because all the while, while social media is playing on your dopamine release over and over and over again, it's also feeding you a lot of information at the same time you're getting the dopamine release. Obviously, not all that information is going to be correct. There's going to be a lot of falsehood. So if you hear in the news, we heard about this past political campaign, all the fake news. Remember when uh, President Trump brought that up, you know, fake news, fake news, fake news. There is a lot of fake news. It's on both sides of the aisle that fake news is generated. And so what ends up happening is political campaigns will hire troll farms, which is usually just a group of people who sit in so-called their basement, and they go online as several different users and post things. They're not real people. And so they'll start up a whole conversation, a whole argument on something, and it's not even a real person. It's just somebody sitting trying to... The fake identity, and it's multiple identities. So the one person may have 10 different Facebook accounts, and he goes on all 10 and words it a little bit differently and says the same thing and starts to generate discussion, arguments, fights, break out, enraging people, getting people all hyped up over nothing. Over nothing. Yes, a bot can do it. Now, not, a bot is a, not a real person. People have designed algorithms to do this for them. It is. So they'll, and then this bot will go off and create all these different social media accounts, which aren't even real people. So what ends up happening here is you can get some really crazy ideas simply listening to social media. Here's a couple. You know what this is? This is a 5G tower. There have been people who are going online and spreading ideas that 5G caused COVID. Caused COVID. Yeah, stuff like that. And so what does that do? Why is this one on fire? Because some vigilantes went and set it on fire because they thought it was causing COVID. Now, you laugh at this, and rightfully so, because this is silliness. But you laugh at that. This is extreme examples. Flat Earth. People believe the Earth is flat because of Facebook platforms. Because all they do is they go online, and since it's social media is tailored to them, they will never see a post about how the Earth is curved or, you know, a globe. They'll see it all flat. It's all flat. It's all flat. It's all flat. See? Huh? And I can't believe why somebody would think it's a globe. That is the stupidest idea. Don't they see all this that I'm getting? It's flat. It's flat. It's flat. It's flat. No, they're not because their social media is not tailored to you. Their social media is telling them, this is a broad example, but that the Earth is a globe. But your social media is telling yours it's flat. Why? Because yours is tailored to fit your desires. You get to see what you want to see. Yes, it is. It's true in your news outlets. Now, this is something interesting here. Read that top section. 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages are fake, run by Eastern European troll farms. Not 10 out of 20, 19 out of 20. There's only one. Um, you'll have, you'll have, I don't have, I've got the names, but um, not, not here at the moment. Um, you will have a Christian Facebook page. This is how they do it. 
Something like that. It'll be something, God is good. A Facebook page called God is good. And so you'll go on God is good. It's part of you, you, you accepted it. You said, I want that in my feed. So you click on that. I like it. And it brings it into your feed. So you're going to get an inspirational quote from God is good, the Facebook page, you know, every once in a while. The way they do it, though, is they make it to where every 10, I'm just giving a number, is going to be inspirational Christian quotes, going to be Bible verses even. But the 11th one is disinformation. They'll give you another 10 or 11 of inspirational Bible quotes. Another one, disinformation. So it's lying to you, but over a two-week span, and you don't even realize it. So why would then European troll farms be interested in this? Usually, as we said here, they're getting paid to spread disinformation. Or, worst case scenario, they are Russia or China trying to disrupt things. Back in the 2016 and 2020 election, when everybody was crying afoul of Russian intervention, People all up in arms. The Russians are interfering with our elections. Of course they are. They've been doing that since the beginning of time. Other nations try to influence another nation's elections to get who they want elected. Back and forth, back and forth they go. This has happened since elections have started, since all of this has taken place. This is an issue, though, for people like Christians. Unlike the church, Facebook has you for an hour or two a day, every day of the year, year after year. Because of this, people's belief systems may be shaped more by a guy in Macedonia and Russia on Russia's paywall than their pastor's sermons. Because you're getting this so much more than you're getting a pastor's sermon. They may not realize they're being discipled, and they certainly don't know who's really doing it. Several tens of millions of Americans arrive with a distorted view of American religion, politics, and more without even realizing that they're consuming a mix of Russia propaganda and Christian living advice. It's not all disinformation. Some of it's really good stuff. But they throw that disinformation in there. Yes, throw that in. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an obvious, yes, that's right. No. Yes, and that's a very light one. You misquote scripture. The other things that can cause is that you, you end up, whole groups can be organized. Go back to this. Whole groups can be organized to go set a 5G tower on fire because they believe it's causing COVID. Obviously, that's not the case. That's not how, that's not how, I hope we don't have anybody here believes that. That's not how biochemistry works, folks, okay? That's not how it works, all right? So what you have is this will cause this and worse things. Let me tell you, please, if you're going to enter into the technological domain, and there are, way, there are some things we cannot escape. But if you're going to enter into it, you have got to be sharp as a tack. All right. I don't mean this the wrong way. I really do not. But if you are going to partake of any of this that we have talked about, any of this, and I'm not talking just about social media. I'm talking about a lot of different things. You have got to be aware of what you're reading and the fact that it may be fake. Let me tell you this as we move on. 
Let me get back here. During the 2020 United States presidential election and the COVID-19 pandemic, Turning Point USA, have we all heard about Turning Point USA? I'm sure a lot of us have heard about Turning Point USA. It's a, it's a very conservative group. Um, it's a conservative group. It's affiliate Turning Point Action. They were described as troll farms. Why would they describe as troll farms? For paying young conservatives in Phoenix, Arizona, some of them minors with parental support, to post misinformation about the integrity of the electoral process and the threat of COVID-19. Now listen, folks. If you're out there paying a bunch of people to post misinformation, my view of you has gone down the drain. All right? But anyways... They use their own social media accounts or fake accounts without disclosing their relationship with Turning Point. And were instructed by Turning Point to slightly alter and repost the modified messages as a limited number of times, at a limited number of times, to avoid automatic detection. In other words, they did this so smartly, and instead of just throwing it out there, they made it to where it was just enough that the Facebook algorithm would not pick it up as disinformation. And so, or just some erroneous activity. And so they just threw this out there. They hired a bunch of people, young people, to go online and post misinformation over and over and over again using separate accounts to get people to start to think a certain way. Now, you say, well, Andrew, you didn't tell us about none of the liberal organizations. We all know the liberal organizations, okay? We all know that they're doing that. But did you know that conservatives are doing it too? And that what is tailored to you on your social media account is made there, is put there because you like it. You're not going to get conflicting views on your social media account. You're going to get reinforcing views. And if your idea is wrong, you're going to be reinforced in your idea. He has an affiliation. Now, I don't know. He may not have known any of this. So, David, Jeremiah. Yes. But once again... I can't indict them because I don't know their involvement in this. So this is something that, once again, the organization partook of. How much they knew about it, I do not know. I do not know. So don't go throwing David Jeremiah necessarily under the bus for this reason, okay? This reason. There are other reasons you can. But I don't want, once again, I don't want this to become misinformation either, okay? All right? So once again, folks, I'm, I'm tol- telling you, I'm telling you, you have got to be wise about this stuff. And you cannot go pick up a story online and repeat it. You cannot do that. You have got, if you want to repeat it, you have got to search it out, study it out. You say, well, I don't want to put that kind of time in it. Then keep your mouth shut and don't talk about it. Why is it that the world looks on Christianity and laughs? Stuff like this. We are so susceptible to this type of thing. Why? Because we have a tendency. We believe our pastors, and if they're a good pastor, rightfully so. I hope you believe me up here. But when I'm up here, we have a tendency just to believe people that put forth a persuasive message. We're geared that way because we come in here on a Sunday morning and listen to a man preach to us the gospel of Jesus Christ in a persuasive way, and so we're kind of geared that way. But you also got to try the spirits to see whether they be of God. And you've got to try the news to see whether it be true. This is danger for us, folks. This is danger. Yes. 
stuff like that, brother. Yes. They do. It's troll farms. There's other areas. I think African American pages. What is it? Seventy-five percent. I think of them were trolls. Native American pages. It was like sixty-five percent. Majority, folks. Majority. All right. Be careful what you listen to and what you see, because this type of stuff happens too. Percent of U.S. adults who identify as something other than heterosexual has doubled over the last 10 years, 3.5 percent from 2012 to 7.1 percent, according to a Gallup poll. Gallup found that the increase is due to high LGBT self-identification, particularly as bisexual, among Generation Z adults who are 18 to 25. So here you have ages of teens and adults who are transgender. Teens and adults. Here's ages of all teens and adults in the United States. Now, the reason these two graphs or these two numbers are together is because look at this. So you have 7.6% and 11%. So 18.6% of the population is between 13 and 24. But when it comes to transgenders, look who almost half are. So only 18.6% of the population are these ages. But they make up almost half of the transgenders. Know the un understand that. Lesser amount here to such a high amount here. And the reason for that is, is because of this. Generation Z adults. Now this is that, once again, 18 to 24. But this is coming up, this is rising because of social media influences. Because when you get on social media, it's tailored to you. So if you have any leaning whatsoever to bisexual, to transgenderism, or any of that mess, homosexuality, they're going to force feed you more of it. More and more and more of it. And so they'll start making you ask questions. Well, am I really a boy? Am I really a girl? Do I don't really know. But I saw this one Facebook post. This person came out, and they really liked it. They enjoyed their life after that. I have a miserable life. Maybe that's what I need to do. And so you're going to get another story. Oh, this person really enjoyed it. This person, on and on and on and on. Positive reinforcement over and over and over again, and this is the outcome you get. Double. 65 and up. Were you, well, I'm sorry, brother. Right here. Well, the drop here is because, I'm going to be quite honest with you, if you're a 65-year-old person, you transgender, you're a pervert. Okay? You're a pervert. You, I know, I understand that, but the influences here are far more than here. So you are far morally influenced in this age to become this than you are in this age to become that. <laughs> Medicare don't cover that, does it, brother? Yeah, right. Um, but yes, that because this number is growing here, and so it's taking up more and more space here. All right? And the reason is because of the influences you get in these ages. That's the problem. All right? So, now, questions or comments? I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot. Trust me, I got a lot more up here. Um, if you have any questions, please, please. If you have, yes, we will get to next section three, and it should not be near as long. All right.
know this is a lot. But any questions, any comments? Okay. All right. Thank you, Sister Judy. So, homework. Um, I want us to do something. Now, between now and Wednesday, all right, I'm going to give you a way you can do this. But I want you to do this not only in technology. I want you to do this in every aspect of your life. I want you to start to be very conscious. It's not going to end after Wednesday night, but start here. Start to be very conscious of what gives you the dopamine releases. All right? And you say, I can't, how do I'm supposed to know? Just know where you can know the pleasures that they give. And you can find yourself. A good way to know whether or not you are giving into the dopamine or giving into the de- desire of something or actually you actually need it is look at it this way for with food. All right? So if you go up throughout the week, take a track of the food you eat. This is just one area. There are going to be many. But take track of the food you eat. And ask yourself, are you eating this food because you're actually hungry? Or are you eating it because you want the food? Or are you eating it because you're just down a little bit? And this will give you a pick-me-up. Ask yourself this. And the way you can define is whether or not you actually want the food or you want food substance is, are you happy with any other food choice or do you got to have that one food choice? You're not really hungry if all you want is pizza, all right? You're not. Now, if, if you say, man, I'm starving, and they give you a sandwich, and say, well, I didn't really want a sandwich. I want pizza. And so you push it away. You're not starving, okay? All right? Otherwise, you would have ate the sandwich. So take note. Take note of what you're eating and why you're eating it. That's one example. Do that in every area, all right? Do that in every area of your life. Why am I turning the computer on? Is it because I actually need to do something? I'm going to entertain myself very slightly now, and I'm going to get back to work, or whatever you want to phrase it. Or am I doing it because I'm bored? Am I doing it because I'm sad? Am I doing it because I don't have nothing else to do? Take note of these things, all right? Now, social technology has a built-in way for us to do this. It does. You can track your screen time, okay? So if you want help doing this, um, I can help you. Um, Noah can help you with this. There's others that can possibly do this for you. But for iPhones, if you have an iPhone, and I can put this back up after we're done so you can see it, but you can go to certain settings here, and it will track how much you've been on your phone. Now, this isn't mine or Brother Dylan's stat. This is just something we picked up off. This is Will Rico, whoever that is. So this is his stat. He's been on for 4 hours and 27 minutes. The nice thing about this is, though, it will also tell you if you go see all activity here, it will tell you what app you spent the most time on. So, I mean, if it's your phone and you've been on the phone because you're getting call after call after call and you're a businessman or, or your brother would and you get call and call after call, this is not necessarily concerning thing because he's on the phone because he's doing business. That's, that's, that's fine. But if you get up here and it's three hours, <laughs> it's not, but if it's three hours and you open up the see all activity and it's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you got a problem, okay? All right, just acknowledge it. This is not, I'm not asking you to fix anything, all right? We'll get to that Wednesday night. Just identify where you're at, okay? If you're Android, there's a way you can do this as well. So you can go to settings, digital well-being, on and on and on it goes, okay? So that concludes the first two sections. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. Trust me, I know it's a lot. Um, 
if you have more questions, like I said, I have, I, I may have more answers because there's, there's, I know this has been two hours study, but we have got a lot more than two hours information. So if you have more questions, please ask me. I may be able to answer them. If not, I'll try to get you an answer in that regards before we come together again Wednesday night. This is dangerous, folks, okay? This is very dangerous. It's not necessarily something we can just wipe off the face of the map. You're not going to kill Facebook. It's a billion-dollar corporation, all right? You're not going to kill it. God can if he wants to, but he may not want to. He may not want to. We as Christians, this will lead up into Wednesday night, will learn the art of discipline or we will die. You will learn how to discipline yourself or you will die. And you'll be another statistic for the devil. 